The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is a special bonus episode of Family Secrets. My guest today is journalist Libby Copeland, author of the recently published book, The Lost Family, How DNA is Uncovering Secrets, Reuniting Relatives, and Upending Who We Are. Libby, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's such a thrill to uh, to be here. It really is. Thank you. Well, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I, I read, I don't know how many months ago, I read an early advanced copy of your book, which I underlined and dog-eared and scribbled. I actually went to to find the, you know, the early galley copy today rather than the beautiful finished copy that just came out because I wanted to see what I had underlined and dog-eared and scribbled exclamation points and asterisks in the margins. You and I were initially planning on actually having a public conversation together that we would have recorded for the podcast in early March when the book came out, which of course, you know, very quickly became impossible. So I'm just so glad to be able to have this conversation with you now. And I I wanted to start by, you know, one of the places in your book that I dog-eared and underlined was a quote that you included from Margaret Atwood. Uh, And the quote is, all new technologies have a good side, a bad side, and a stupid side you hadn't considered. So, Could you tell us what made you initially decide to write The Lost Family and what was the impetus for exploring 
this world of the unintended consequences of DNA testing? Yeah, so, you know, I'm really interested in human behavior, the the push-pull of what causes people to do the things that they do, and the intersection with technology and and kind of culture and human behavior like that that kind of nexus is really interesting to me. Um, so I had been at the Washington Post as a staffer and then um, left the Post and was still writing for them. And my editor there was interested in writing, having me write a piece about DNA testing and kind of the the unexpected consequences of of DNA testing and how it plays out for people. And I did wind up writing a piece. Uh, about a woman that I found who had a, a, an incredibly remarkable story. Her name is Alice, and she wound up becoming um, the central narrative of the book. But um, this was back in 2017 when the DNA databases were much smaller. Um, and um, and even so, many, many people were having this kind of experience. Now it's, um, you know, just leagues beyond what it was even just three years ago, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. So I write this story. It comes out in the post. And um, I had put an email address at the bottom where people could contact me and and share their stories if they wanted to. And I literally got hundreds of them within a very short amount of time. I found myself totally underwater with these stories, and I found them so moving. I found them so intimate. And I guess what struck me about the stories that I was hearing from from readers writing in about their experiences with DNA testing and, and often the surprises and the revelations that can come with it was how, you know, these experiences touch at the heart of who we are. And they're experiences that don't end. They they sort of become a thing that you process and then reprocess and continually discuss with family. And so it's something that goes on and on and on. Um, it's not like you get closure on it. And I just was really struck by the idea that somebody could go into um, an experience with you know, just 99 bucks and you spin in a tube and it's very low investment and get this really profound outcome. And I thought, man, that's like a cultural change. This is like a sociological moment. Um, We're going to look back at this. And uh, I just started to think about this in terms of a book and wanting to gather more stories and tell them. Yeah. And and as you say, um, you know, you were somewhat early to the party in, in the sense of like just the exponential growth of these discoveries and the hundreds of thousands of people now a year who are who are making these discoveries and they range i mean i i totally relate to what you're saying because when my memoir inheritance came out and i started traveling for it i was so struck by all of the different kinds of stories that there were that had in common yeah. that somebody blithely, recreationally sent away for a kit and or received it for a holiday gift. And then Pandora's box opened. And, you know, it ranged from late discovery adoptees to people who hadn't known that they were conceived using donors to people where a parent had an affair um, to fathers who had children they hadn't known about to women who had put up children for adoption and you know as teenagers and had never told a soul and then our our family we just went on and on the stories but what they had in common was what connects us where 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 do we derive our sense of identity from what do secrets do to us is that some of what you found yeah i mean absolutely i mean I found a lot of people struggled with these questions 
of thinking about genetics versus, you know, experience and basically which should dominate, right? So um, does DNA determine who your father is or, um, you know, as you write so movingly in your book, um, you know, is, is fatherhood a position occupied by the man who raises you, who loves you into being, um, mm-hmm. which was a beautiful line from your, um, from your book that I, I quoted in mine. Um, you know, I, I think that we, as human beings, we have a tendency to think about things in, in binary terms. And we definitely struggle a little bit with a sense of um, genetic essentialism so that your genes are who you are or they're a predictor of the future or they are your fate. And over and over what I found when talking to people was that that we each person, each individual person, each family is carving out their own nuanced and emotionally uh, sensitive and careful definition of how they want to think about identity and how they want to think about love in familial terms. Mm-hmm. And um, that we can choose, we can choose um, more rather than less. It doesn't have to be an either or. It's not me defining uh, that you know that that this is my father and this is not my father, or these are my birth parents and these are my adoptive parents. It's yes and. Um, and and it's not always the case, especially for the people on the other side, right? The keepers of the secrets who are being sought out, who might be elderly. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for them and, um, understandably so, but, you know, my stories were primarily the people who were doing the seeking, right? The people who are testing and who are, who are, who have a great deal of agency in the search and therefore, um, you know, very much want the truth. And for them, I found that there was an incredible amount of care that they, that they took in terms of how they defined, you know, how they thought about what makes a family and um, an inclusiveness. And also, you know, when they, they thought about, you know, ethnic identity, um, the, you know, the, the main character of, of my book believes herself to be almost entirely Irish, turns out to be half Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, there's a, a man in my book who um, has a story similar to one of your guests, Lacey Schwartz, who he has mm-hmm. African ancestry and he, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't disclosed to him as a sort of an, an bid to protect him. So, um, you know, it seems to me that people seem to do better when they can approach these these um, questions with an expansiveness. But of course, that's not always possible. And there's a great deal of trauma, I think, that goes along with these discoveries on on both sides. So it's it's a profound it's a profound, tricky, I guess, bioethical territory. We'll be back in a moment with more family secrets. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men (laughs) because she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts One of the things that I thought a lot about after I made my discovery about my dad and as I was writing Inheritance and which I'll probably think about for the rest of my life is that we are in this moment in time where these secrets were held, they were kept, it was considered for many years in the best interests of the child or just in the best interest of everyone involved to keep the secret and... No one could have imagined, you know, like in At- Atwood's term, you know, the 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 stupid things we hadn't thought about. I mean, it's just a funny Atwoodian thing to say, but really, yeah. the the unintended, you know, the the no one could have imagined that there would be a future in which that you could spit into a plastic vial and send it off through the mail, and that there would be this thing called the internet where you could pretty much find out anything about anything anytime. Um, 
that would have been, you know, like the stuff of science fiction. And I think that there will be a time that will happen in our lifetimes where the idea that these kinds of secrets were ever kept will seem ludicrous and wrong. You know, it'll be, mm. you know, something that people look at and think, no, secrets are, they, what we don't know can hurt us. It does hurt us. Or there's, there's a line in your book um, that one of your subjects, um, one of your subjects says, it's a secret, but at some point it becomes a lie too. Yeah. You know, and we're like, we're formed by things that are kept from us when, when there's something as profound as like on the level of identity that's kept from us. But there will be a point where I think the fact of these DNA tests will make it impossible. Parents now, I've seen it starting to happen. Mm. Parents, even contemporary, you know, people having, raising families now who have been on the fence about whether to tell their children the truth about donor conception, or uh, I think less so with adoption because it's been truer for much longer that, that, you know, the received wisdom being um, that, People who are adopted should be told, and they should be told from the time that it can be woven into their consciousness, their identity from the time right. they're very small. But there still are quite a lot of people, at least anecdotally in my experience, who are choosing not to tell their children. Um, and what's starting to happen is that those people are having to come face to face with the fact that it is likely that their children will find out. Right. Yeah. Not a question of if, but when. Right. And so that changes everything. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, a few years ago, I think when I started writing my book, there was a kind of a framing um, that I would see and that I, I kind of even, you know, approached certain questions with, which was, you know, um, what should people know before they do a DNA test? And I don't even think of it like that anymore because I, I think that increasingly it doesn't matter whether or not a person does a DNA test because if they, there's a genetic secret in their family, it's going to come out because somebody close to them does a DNA test. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't do it, but your sister does, and then you find out your half siblings or you don't, you, you know, you don't do a genetic test, but your adult child does and informs you that you are um, donor conceived. I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, it could even be like a first cousin, um, or a second cousin, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, so the point is that I think we're all implicated by a technology that makes it inevitable that we have to have conversations that may seem difficult, but they're conversations about transparency and about, you know, the origins of people's lives. And so it's increasingly not a question of like, what do you have to think about before you take a DNA test? It's, it's actually a conversation framed around um, the people who are the keepers of the genetic secrets, um, who, again, you know, at one point in time, it was considered the right thing to do to not tell your child, perhaps, about, you know, certain ways which they came into the world. But now, now it's a, it, there's a moment where they kind of have to start thinking about how are they going to have a conversation with their child um, before that child finds out by spitting into a tube? Because, because over and over, people have told me that it is so much better to find out the news, albeit late, from people who love you, than to find out, you know, sort of by backing into it, by spitting into a tube, and then having to have that conversation with your parents and say, why didn't you tell me this? 
That's such an important point. Um, and I would take it one step further, which is, you know, my story and many people's stories, which is, you know, your parents are gone. And, yeah. and you're left holding the mystery. But that's so, mm. I can feel the truth in what you're saying in, in people's experience. I'm imagining, um, you know, being told and the reckonings that are going on, you know, all over mostly this country because we're the, we're the, we're the country obsessed with DNA tests. It was like something yeah. like 80% of uh, the consumers of DNA testing worldwide are, are, are American. I think that's something like. Yeah, that's right. Or to go back to what you were saying before about the the yes and, like the way that we tend to, like we human beings tend to think in these binary ways. And the the parents who made those choices did so at a time where they felt that it was in their family's best interest and their child's best interest. So for them to have to experience this reckoning, I mean, I get heartbreaking letters and emails from people all the time saying, I read your book. I can see how hard it would be for my grown children to find this out after I'm gone, but I don't know how to sit them down and tell them, Mm, you know, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm an expert from the inside of the emotional experience of my emotional experience of what it was to be left holding a massive mystery and in my case, I was incredibly fortunate because there were just enough clues and I was able to figure it out instead of staying in this kind of limbo state of mm. not knowing. And, you know, I think it's true, too, that many people have asked, like during Q&As at my events, why was it so important to know? And what I find myself um, trying to explain is that when you've spent your life in one certainty, a biological certainty that your parents who raised you are your biological parents, that's your identity, is you are their biological child, and then you find out that that's not the case, it's extraordinarily unmooring, as opposed to always knowing. So, for example, adoptees who have had the story of their origin woven into their consciousness from the time that they were sentient beings, even if that story was, we don't know. They grow up knowing that there is not a biological connection between Mm. them and their family. And that is not easy, but it's the truth. And so they're growing up like inside of the truth. And when you grow up inside of a secret or inside of a lie, a deception, to then make that discovery, whether it's by accident or, you know, I mean, it's it's almost always, I mean, I suppose there's some people who take these DNA tests because they suspect something, but it's much yeah. more, it seems much, much more common that people are taking them just for fun. And so the messaging of, you know, uh, Ke- Kelly Ripa, you know, waving the Italian flag, <laughs> yes. you know, that she's like one-eighth Italian and fun facts that you may find out. That's sort of the inverse side of what you were talking about, um, of people um, saying, well, uh, you know, there should be, you know, people should have much more informed consent going into this or much more of a sense that, well, you may discover, you know, some things that are 
challenging. And that's in the fine print. But nobody, very few right. people go in actually thinking, I may discover something really sort of earth-shattering. Right. I mean, over and over, the people I talk to, even if they read the warning, you know, you may discover unexpected relatives, or you may discover something about yourself that you were not expecting to learn. Um, you know, they do give the warnings, but over and over, I found people assumed that 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 wasn't that it wasn't going to happen to them. It wasn't going to apply to them because why? Why would you? It would take a feat of extreme cognitive dissonance for you to imagine that uh, your entire life was about to be upended and all your assumptions and your, your origin story was about to be turned on its head. Why would you assume that? And so we go, you know, we go into this assuming that the greatest cost is going to be the 99 bucks that you pay. And, um, and, and it's, it's, it's a low investment. I mean, it's become very, very inexpensive. And, and um, as you say, the marketing is all, um, it's, you know, it's marketed as an entertainment vehicle, which it, it is for many people, um, you know, just a sort of a, a vehicle for family history. And yet for that significant minority of people, it's, um, you know, it, it contains a revelation that is so much more meaningful than the price that they paid going in. And yes, ultimately maybe something that they, um, I found, as you've said, the vast majority of people, ultimately, if it's something about them, they're glad to know. And yet that's not to say that the process is not, um, man, it's just, it's a profound one that goes on and on. And, um, you know, just one of the things I noticed as I was interviewing people was the commonality of language. So, you know, over and over, I heard something that I've started thinking about is the lonely boat metaphor. And the lonely boat metaphor is this description of feeling adrift. And it's often accompanying when you, when you take the test and you find out you're maybe not related to um, you know, your paternal side, for instance, or your, you know, your really, you know, so you know, half of your roots are not what you thought, um, or your or siblings are not your full siblings are not at all your siblings. Um, I, a lot of people would voice this sense of feeling adrift or cut off like they were on a raft that had been pushed out to sea. Um, so what, what that told me that sort of language over and over again from different people who had not been discussing their, you know, conferring with one another in advance, that told me that there was a kind of, um, I guess a psychological, emotional, even maybe like a spiritual, um, uh, human link there between these experiences that that experience is maybe intrinsic. It's not just a cultural it's not just of cultural importance. It's kind of like a, like a primal human response to finding out that you're not genetically related to the people that you feel you're, you know, you assumed that you were. Um, and then this description, and this is what made me think of it because you use the word rootedness, that word I also heard over and over again, literally that word. And then words that go along with it, you know, this idea that you, you have roots into the ground, that you are, you are on stable ground upon discovering you know, your, your genetic origins, right. Or, or who your birth parents were, for instance, for an adoptee. So that language too was very, um, it was echoed over and over again. And I just thought it was really interesting. I think going forward, there's going to be a body of, of research from psychologists who study this and they're going to treat this and maybe it will be a subspecialty, you know, the DNA surprise or finding out your, you know, you, you know, your, your, your origins weren't what you thought or in the search for your genetic identity or however, whatever terms it, it, you know, winds up falling under. I think there will be um, research that looks at the emotions that accompany this experience and then the language that, that accompanies it. And I, I, 
I just think it's going to be, I don't know. I think this is a moment in time we're going to look back on and we're going to say, this is the moment when everything changed. You know, (laughs) Um, this is the moment when the way families talked about certain difficult things changed. This is the moment when really painful conversations had to be had all across the United States. We'll be right back. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed 
my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just thinking about the lonely boat metaphor and then the um, the language around rootedness and how opposite those are. You know, the the floating at sea, the, you know, the the being on the surface of something that is moving and the the rootedness of being um, you know, like tethered to the earth or part of something solid. And that's so that's really powerful. And it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all that you would hear that again and again. Um, you know, there's also the something else that I think will be studied, which is in many of the stories of people who make these discoveries, there are childhood feelings that are very mm. much in common. There's, um, I mean, stunningly so, because I remember starting to do research and reading everything that there was that I could find, any testimony, any essay, any 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 piece of journalism of people who had, who had made these discoveries. And the language around childhood of feeling other or different or something mm-hmm. not adding up, something just not feeling right, but not knowing what it could possibly be because it didn't make any sense, this feeling, was echoed again and again. But, you know, I mean, one of the things to go back to what you were saying about the the, the binary, the nature-nurture, I feel like I want I want listeners who are thinking about this to really understand that what we're not talking about is the we're not talking about the primacy of nature. We're talking about the um, the damage that secrets can do. You know, mm. because I, I I would find myself in um, almost you know contentious situations with people coming to my events who would sometimes say. And often these were ad- adoptive parents, parents who had adopted, um, say, you seem to be saying that nature is all that matters. And I have never felt that way. I have felt, I, but I, I had to really think about that, right? Like what, mm. why do we want to discount nature? And at least as far as my thinking about that has come so far, I think we want to discount nature because we can't control it. And hmm. we think we can control, nurture, like we can love our children and provide a, a value system for them and raise them, you know, within what we consider to be, uh, you know, a safe and nurturing environment. And that that means that all will be well. Um, we can control nurture, but nature is a wild card always. I mean, you have more yeah. than one kid. Are they are they the same? No, they're so different. Right, right. Like any, I only have one, so I don't have direct knowledge of that. But I've seen like all my friends who have a bunch, you know, more than one child that it's nature is nature. Nature is kind of like the way the cook, the way the cookie crumbles to some degree. So, right. So all I'm ever saying when I'm talking about this stuff is that we can't discount nature. We can't, um, 
as much as we would like to say, it doesn't matter. And I think that the people who have held these secrets are doing so out of the desperate wish to have nature not matter at all, to eradicate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have encountered as well this kind of approach where it's like, well, what does it matter if you didn't know that you were um, Ashkenazi Jewish and you thought you were completely Irish and you were raised Irish, what does it matter? Um, and, in, you know, one of the women that I interviewed for the books was like, it, it's everything, right? It, it's 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 so not nothing, it's everything. It is entirely my story. Mm. Um, and maybe that's hard to understand when you have never had, like, faced a disruption to your origin story or, or, or going even farther back to your family history. Um, but narratives are what makes human beings human beings. You know, and I don't think that you can tell the story of yourself if you if you don't know your beginning, if you don't know your once upon a time. And if you discover that your once upon a time is completely dislocated, then then the experience that I heard people voicing over and over was that they literally didn't know where they were standing on the earth. It was as if they had stood up and the earth had spun under them like a marble and then they were plopped back down. And they were like, where am I? Right. So, you know, and again, you know, maybe this is for for people who haven't experienced this. It seems kind of abstract. So what? You thought you were one thing, but you're really another. (laughs) Um, So what? You know, that's your dad, the guy who raised you. He did the hard work. Well, yes. And also. Yes. And also. And if you look at the experiences of adoptees, um, you know, going back from forever, um, you know, they they can love their adopted parents deeply and also want to know about their birth parents. And that doesn't supplant their love for their parents. It doesn't supplant the love for the people who raised them. It's, it's an adjunct, but, but it's about, I guess, like self-knowledge, right? And, um, and to use another piece of language that I heard over and over again, the word, the sort of phrase or the imagery that I heard over and over was, I had a hole in my heart and now it's filled. And people would talk about this sense of loss, like like there was a piece missing from them. Um, and that when they had the knowledge, didn't have to be, by the way, a relationship with their genetic parent. If the genetic parent, say, was no longer alive or didn't want to have a relationship, and that was that would happen and that was painful. But it was it was the the seeking was in the sort of the, the the knowledge, the knowing, the understanding, or at least having a shot at understanding, even if you couldn't really know because you you couldn't ask your genetic parents certain questions about, you know, the circumstances of your birth. But just sort of to know that people would tell me that it kind of approached the beginnings of putting the puzzle piece into place or, or you know, plugging up that hole in their heart, um, that kind of self-knowledge. I just don't think there's any substitute for it. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. 
Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke F Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.